so this is our 20th episode, and I thought it'd be kind of fun to... I went on the, the Hollywood Reporter's uh, list of the 100 best Star Trek episodes of all time. This is, this is prior to Discovery coming out, so there's nothing from that on there. But okay. um, how many episodes that we've watched so far do you think are on that list? Oh, boy. With the do knowledge we... that there's like, uh, you know, 700-some episodes of the show. Yeah. I would say of the 20 we've done... And this is without looking at a list, but just trying to think. I mean, uh, I think clearly the um, best of both worlds, one and two, are going to both be on there. Yep, th- that's, those are those together are listed as number two uh, all time. Wow, really? Yeah, which I mean, yeah. I, I think they're very they're, good. They're very good. Um, the other ones I can think of would maybe be maybe Omega Glory, just because nope. I feel like that's a kind of a classic. Nope. No. Uh, one DS9, one TNG, and one uh, Voyager. I think the Voyager is probably one. I thought one was really good. Worst case scenario is the Voyager episode. The, Worst case the, like the holodeck virus. Really? Yep, that's number huh. sixty-four. Okay. To this. Um, the T- is the TNG one best of both worlds, or there's another one in addition to that? Uh, no, there's another one in addition to that. Is it Big Goodbye? No, it's okay. um, it's Offspring. Or the offspring. Oh, episode. that's right. We watched that one. That was a good one. Yeah, that's seventy nine. Yeah, the DS nine one. We did not like this episode of DS nine. <laughs> was it Tears of the Prophets? No, it's um, crossover. It's that Mirror Universe episode. Oh, really? That's seventy eight. Which I take a lot of issue with them being like that. That this episode is conclusively one better than the episode where Data makes a kid. I don't. I don't, <laughs> I don't buy that. But yeah. yeah. Wow. So. Uh, yeah, so five five of the episodes we've done are on the list. So okay, uh, I, I I guess I didn't I didn't take the time to like see if that's like any kind of like if there's any kind of st- st- statistical um, correlation between that. Kind of how we're doing. Feels kind of high, um, but yeah, it's all it's all downhill from here, guys. Or it will be once we watch um, City on the Edge of Forever, which is the number one. Episode. Okay, got it. So. Hi, and welcome to Out of Contracts, the show where two guys who have seen a part of Star Trek try to watch all of it in no particular order. I'm Ryan Howard. And I'm Brady Jungle. This is our 20th episode of this podcast, as we said in the cold open. And this podcast is about us watching and talking about random episodes of any Star Trek show that we get out of a random number generator. And we've had a lot of, I think, kind of weird coincidences on on the podcast so far, uh, just in terms of like the way we watched Best of All Worlds and some of like the thematic links. And this is another kind of weird coincidence for me anyway, that our 20th episode, we are watching kind of a very special episode of Star Trek, which is essentially a TV movie that is from uh, Voyager. It's Voyager season five, episode 15 and 16 combined uh, called Dark Frontier. The Memory Alpha summary of it is a little longer than usual, which makes sense because the, the episode is about like an hour and a half long. It's uh, when Captain Janeway devises a plan to steal a transwarp coil from a damaged Borg sphere. The mysterious Borg Queen learns of the plan and uses this knowledge in an attempt to return Seven of Nine to the Borg by issuing her an ultimatum. Rejoin the Collective or watch as Voyager is assimilated. 
so this is a this is a big episode for probably like two of our favorite characters from from Voyager. I would say Seven of Nine and yeah. Janeway. Uh, so that that was a kind of an enjoyable thing. Um, this is a really interesting episode. I don't know. I, I liked it. I don't know that I loved it, but certainly it, it's it, it's interesting from like a lore perspective. I, I'm curious, kind of your your view as a as like a you know someone who's watched all of Voyager. Like, how is this episode thought of? I know you've talked before about how people don't like how much Borg is in the show. Yeah, and I think from from the little I've kind of read in that, and I, I think even that this, at the time, it was actually pretty well received. Like, the ratings were good. It was apparently critically well considered. But I think it also, again, one of the complaints I've heard about the show is that is that it started out as this kind of, cool idea of the ship going and exploring through space you know they're back to exploring strange new worlds and and being somewhere that they've never been before and and that then later on in the show it it does kind of turn into just these big borg set pieces with the borg queen and with seven of nine and that kind of becomes more about that than anything else um i think part of it may depend on your opinion of because the Borg Queen does also reappear in a few more episodes that I can think of as well. Mm-hmm. And kind of gets this sort of rivalry and competition with, with Janeway, and they become these nemeses. And I guess it depends on your opinion of the Borg Queen as a character, which mm-hmm. maybe we can get into later, because I think that'll be a bigger discussion. Yeah, I, I have not seen the Borg Queen on a Voyager episode before. I have seen... First Contact, Star Trek First Contact, which I has the has a Borg Queen in it. Although I, I believe, from what I can tell, a different Borg Queen. I've seen I've seen that movie, but it has been so long that I remember almost nothing about it. So this is basically my introduction or my reintroduction to that that concept. Um, yeah. This episode is written by Brandon Braga and Joe Manowski, and it is directed by Cliff Bull and Terry Windell. By the way. Um, so yeah, this is a longer episode, uh, so we'll try to keep the recap of it, you know, pretty brisk, as, as, as brisk as we can. Yeah, so it essentially starts out, and it starts in a cool way, because it opens essentially from the perspective of the Borg. I really liked this. It was very well done, I thought, that, you know, it starts with just complete blankness, and you just hear the Borg kind of collective voice saying, a vessel has been detected, and then they say activate and then kind of all the lights come on and essentially this Borg ship stirs to life and all the drones start moving around. And this is being shot from like a kind of like, not a fisheye lens, but just got like a, a weird lens setting that is, it's like first person shooter style, like from a Borg drones POV. Yeah. And then they're hailed again through the same kind of point of view. You see Captain Janeway come on screen and say, essentially leave us alone or we'll destroy you. And there's a typical Borg exchange where they say, resistance is futile, you are irrelevant, you'll be assimilated. And then Voyager beams a torpedo directly onto the Borg ship and blows it up. That was cool. I was, that was a cool like way to do that. Yeah, that they kind of like walk over and start like inspecting it, and then it just um, explodes. Now they do say, too, which I don't really know exactly why they decided to like include this, but they weren't attempting to totally blow up the the ship they were hoping to blow up like part of it i I guess because they wanted to disable it and get some stuff out of it but yeah and so the main because this then becomes sort of their one of the main 
reasons they would do what they do next is that they're trying to get the the Borg ships have uh, a special kind of warp drive that they call transwarp that essentially lets them move through space even faster than warp speed that I think involves like the equivalent of like wormholes or that that's how the Borg get from place to place so fast. And so they're trying to get one of these transwarp coils because it'll let them make Voyager faster and get back to Earth much faster than they would be going at normal warp speed. It would cut years off of their off of their journey because if they're just going at regular warp, you know, it's going to take them beyond all of their lifespans to get home. But they're still they're still trying, and so they they want to steal one of these cores. Yeah. Can I can I say too? I just think this is kind of funny that this is kind of like one of those like Star Wars expanded universe things where. Kind of, there's the temptation to always go bigger, like power creep. Yeah, not e- not even necessarily expanded universe now with like the new movies where it's like every every movie it's like, well, now his lightsaber has crossbars, and now her lightsaber is a Swiss Army knife, you know, or 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 whatever. It's like the Death Star, but instead of being the size of a moon, it's a whole planet. It can destroy five planets at once instead of one. Yeah, it it makes you think about the Sun Crusher from the Star Wars expanded universe, though, where where it's like the Death Star can blow up a planet and the Sun Crusher can blow up a sun, and this is like right. that, where it's like, well, warp speed is already faster than light speed, so like warp speed is a fake amount of how fast you can go, and then transwarp is even even warpier than warp speed <laughs> right. uh, but anyway that just i just thought that was a kind of funny little piling on the yeah the fake speeds but yeah and then um i just wrote that the alternate title of this episode should be hubris <laughs> because because essentially that that then so that they're not able to get a transwarp coil from from the ship because of essentially they completely blew it up but what they do get is a a bunch of data of where all the Borg ships are, and so they find that there's another small Borg ship that's been damaged by an ion storm that they think they can probably, you know, attack this one and take its warp coil. Mm. And so they essentially, what they call, plan a heist. That they're going to sneak onto the ship, get the warp coil, get out, and, and then blow it up. I, I have a couple of notes about this stuff that I kind of just want to say as we go. That when they're salvaging, you're right. They, they they don't find like a warp core that works. But there's like this weird moment where I thought this was going to come back later too. But uh, they're looking at all the stuff they got off of the ship, and Janeway is holding this weird thing. And then I think I want to say it's either Chakotay or Harry Kim. I think it's Harry Kim comes up. And I think it's Harry Kim. Yeah, it comes up and says, "Oh, don't <laughs> don't touch that." I, he says, "I think it's some kind of auto regeneration device," which I thought, "Oh, maybe that'll come into play later," which it doesn't. But then she she's like, "Oh, good tip." And then they just she just puts it down on a counter and they leave it there. <laughs> they kind of walk away. If it's so dangerous, why are they just kind of leaving it out like where anyone could where it could like attack something or you know? Yeah, because they even say it was like crawling around a little bit ago. Yeah, and she's like, "Oh, okay, good good idea," and then she just leaves it. Um, and then, you know, talking about the height, you know, when they're planning the heist in like the conference room, there's two things I read about that. One, one is that it's kind of interesting that we watched this one not too long after we watched the Alliances episode, where at the end of it, the moral of the story almost seems like we have to do everything by the book always, and we can't ever like change our beliefs. And so it's clearly Janeway, you know, at, at further time out in space has kind of relaxed this a little bit because... 
they're kind of like coming up with like ways to break into this Borg sphere, which I had never heard of a Borg sphere before that I had only seen the Borg cubes. And so we actually see a Borg sphere and Borg cubes in this, and then that little probe vehicle looks and like a Borg, yeah. Borg cylinder. Um, yep. But uh, And the Borg diamond, oh, or whatever, yeah. the, the one the queen flies around on. That's right. And um, so, you know, they're talking about how to kind of get this thing. And then Balana says, basically, oh, I have a couple of Maquis techniques that I could use, but they're not exactly Starfleet approved. But and then uh, Janeway says, this is no time for protocol. So I was like, oh, she's uh, she's yeah. she's relaxed her feelings a little bit by this point. Um, and then the other thing I wrote, this is my, I wrote this in all caps, which is, uh, excuse me, I need to see an episode of Ferengi trying to break into Fort Knox, uh, because <laughs> yeah, so they they compare this this Borg cube or this Borg sphere, they say like this is our Fort Knox, and then have to explain to I think to Tuvok or to Neelix maybe they have to explain to one of the like non-human people on the crew Fort Knox is you know where humans kept all of their gold. And then no one's ever broken into it. And then someone says, well, there was that time a couple of Ferengi tried. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I, I honestly, like, this episode was fine, but I, it, it was kind of, you know, this we're, we're recording this on the day that, that our Two Days and Two Nights episode came out. And you talk a lot in that about how there's a lot of discussion about things that are cooler than the thing that is happening on the screen and this episode is yep. fine and they definitely you know go all out with like the effects and stuff but i was also thinking to myself for the rest of the episode this is great but i want to see some frankie trying to some frankie breaking into fort, fort knox but anyway uh just that, that was kind of funny so they they make the, and then they make this plan and as part of the preparations um uh the captain asks seven of nine to go through her parents old research because essentially before seven of nine was became a borg she was uh when she was just a young child her parents were these uh scientists that were were studying the borg they were on this little ship and they were following a borg cube around i think Mm -hmm. and sort of essentially like naturalists they were just observing them and taking notes and studying them uh and then eventually they the Borg detected them and captured them and they were assimilated. So she became a Borg as a young child and has really like, other than kind of these few flashbacks occasionally has very little memory of being human. Now. Yeah. I will say, I think actually she thinks that the Borg killed her parents. And then I think it's a reveal at the end that her dad was assimilated. And I don't, I don't think they actually show her mom uh, yeah. in that scene. I could be wrong about that, but I, yeah, I don't think they do, but, um, but yeah. Yeah, I think she believes her parents were murdered, and then like at the end, they're like, "Oh no, your dad is here, and he's he's aboard." Um, yeah, and so essentially, kind of scattered throughout, really the rest of the episode, there's these little flashbacks as she's reading her parents' journals to her as a little girl and her dad and her mom studying the Borg, kind of in parallel to to what they're doing in in the present time. Mm-hmm. And so, and then as they're preparing for the heist, she hears a voice in her head of the Borg Queen telling her, we've hacked into your circuits, we know what you're doing, and if you don't come back to us and rejoin the Collective, we'll just completely destroy Voyager. Like Essentially that we're on to your whole plan, and Voyager will, will lose unless you personally rejoin the Collective, and that's all we want. So then... They go to do the heist, and it's going along, and then right as they're about to escape, Seven of Nine tells the captain, no, I've changed my mind, I'm staying here, 
to rejoin the Borg. And there's this very tense moment between them, and then the the, the captain and, and the, the Voyager crew have to escape. And so they beam away, and they leave Seven on the ship. Tuvok has a cool-looking phaser rifle during this scene, I wrote down. <laughs> yeah, that is it. The, the rifle is, is very cool. Let me just check and make sure I'm not... I mean, skipping you, any you main... little, like things that are not super important, like you know that they train for this heist by they have like a holodeck simulation. But they kind of do like a, one of those like holodeck fakeouts where it's like, oh, you think they're on the heist, and then they're actually. And then everybody's about to die, and then they're just like, oh, it's the end simulation. Yeah. You know, end program. Yeah. And the... Did you say they they do get the transwarp coil when they go in though? But yes, they got the transwarp coil and and escaped. And so then you kind of have these two things happening in parallel where. Voyager is trying to come to terms with, was Seven captured or did she leave because she wanted to? Should we go back and rescue her or not? And the, and meanwhile, on the Borg ship, um, uh, Seven encounters the, the Borg Queen, who is, you know, essentially, unlike all the other drones, she has much more of kind of her own individual personality. And it's just, I don't know, it's, I don't want to get into my opinions on her yet, but yeah. but essentially, instead of instead of the Borg being this kind of collective, there's this one mind that's controlling, or like at, at the head of all of them. Mm-hmm. And essentially what she tells Seven of Nine is that they don't want to just make her a drone again, because she's the only person that's ever been a Borg and then left the collective and become a human again. Which, can I, can I say, I actually don't know if that's 100% true because she she says you are the only borg who has ever gone back to individuality and then i was thinking about what about hugh from tng yeah who i believe is actually going to be possibly in picard as well uh and oh really he you know he kind of goes back and forth a little bit but he certainly appears has like a a decent measure of like uh individuality in his in his iborg episode um yeah but anyway yeah or i mean even like you could argue that picard depending on how much you consider him to have been borg at the time i didn't think about that but yeah you're right but yeah but essentially they, they believe that she that she is unique and that essentially their plan is that they want to assimilate earth and nothing that they've done so far has worked so they need kind of a new approach or new tactics and they think that having someone like seven of nine who is both an individual but also part of the borg is going to help them somehow do that this was this was the part that i i didn't quite understand what their plan was so i think the rationale is supposed to be uh we don't want to reassimilate you we want you to kind of like because you are an individual and you've been with them we want you to tell us how they work kind of help us understand like their psychology so we could figure out the best way to assimilate them. But then their plan to assimilate earth is to just release a bunch of nanobots into the atmosphere that will then uh, slowly assimilate them. And by the time that people realize what's happening, it will be too late, which doesn't yeah. seem like they need seven to do but that. They don't at need all. seven to nine to do that. <laughs> yeah. So that was kind of a, that's, that's a, that's a strange little like bit of this episode. I thought. Yeah. And so, so essentially the board queen spends a lot of time paying like individual attention to trying to convince seven of nine to join the side of the Borg again without forcing her to by just assimilating her. Mm-hmm. Which is just one of those things that like is a very unborg like thing to do. Like it's a interesting like story thing that it, of what it allows them to do because they make her sort of participate in assimilating an, another race. 
essentially the queen like almost allows the ship to, that Seven is on to be destroyed and then forces Seven to, you know, she keeps asking Seven, how should we adapt and make Seven like essentially come up with the strategy that lets them survive that then also lets them assimilate all these people. Mm. And so they're going, th- you know, they're kind of going through this process and meanwhile, Voyager is coming up with a plan to come back and rescue Seven of Nine. And eventually, I mean, honestly, like, there's kind of a lot of repetition in this episode. So we're we're actually kind of getting close to, like, having described most of, like, the relevant information. Yeah. There's, there's, another, there's another planet that they assimilate while they're with Seven, and Seven kind of is helping them at first and then ends up changing her mind and helping some of the people. Yeah, she tries to help some of the people escape. That's a good scene, too, because I, I think that, like, that's kind of the first time, anyway, that I've seen assimilation on a mass scale in progress. And so it's, like, kind of scary and, like, sort of awful. You know, you hear, like, the whole entire time that she's on. Yeah, that part, I think, that whole section is, like, very disturbing. That yeah. there's kind of all this screaming in the background and these people just being, like, marched down hallways, mm-hmm. kind of... You know, and most of them are just sort of resigned to their fate. Um, there's a scene where one of them tries to make a break for it and escape and just gets caught, gets the assimilation nanites injected into him, like, right in front of, you know, he, like, looks right into Seven of Nine's eyes as that's happening. Yeah. And then, so there's a room where a bunch of them are about to be assimilated, and Seven of Nine deactivates one of the guards and sort of helps them all get into an escape pod. Or she transports them away i forget but she like helps some of them escape but then the board queen ends up finding them anyways like watching them run away mm-hmm. and so then there's this scene where the board queen is like well now you know we have to destroy these people that you tried to help escape and seven says you know why there's no point they're they're irrelevant and so they kind of argue back and forth and seven of nine ends up I think asking, like pleading with the queen to let these people live, and she does. Yep. Which is never really clear why she does this. I don't. I don't feel like it. It, it seemed like a. Yeah. Again, like it seemed like a very. I mean, I feel like we're kind of dancing around it. Maybe we should just get into it. But like, I one of my notes was, is the board queen? Is that a good idea, as a story conceit? And I don't know that it is. I don't think it both story wise and tactically. If you're the Borg, I think in both cases it doesn't make sense and it isn't a good idea. Well, I was left very very unclear even as to how like the power structure of the Borg works in this in this way because is she the only queen or are there other queens that are operating at the same time as her or is it just like when one queen dies they get a new queen and then like what if if there's like just a person who seems like just kind of a normal not normal but like just kind of capable of having some form of emotion and like kind of capable of having like rational nuanced conversation and it's, it would seem might have other interests beyond just like the assimilate and consume mentality. I don't really know how that makes them more interesting as a, as a race of thing. And I don't really know how that, it would seem like there would be some kind of more motivation behind the Borg under that circumstance. And there doesn't really seem to be. And also, but also it's like, you don't really want there to be any more motivation behind them. Like they're good because they just have this very overarching execute command type thing. And I don't think. Yeah, I agree that sort of the, what makes them such a kind of scary villain. And like, you know, when you first encounter them, 
you know, in the next generation in that is that it's just this this mindless, unstoppable force that like there's no reasoning with them. They just exist to assimilate everything and are just kind of endlessly plotting towards that. There's no motive. There's nothing they want other than just to consume everything. Yeah, they, they don't care. And you can't beat that and you can't... You can't appeal to their better angels. You can only run from that for so long. And like that's what makes them such a terrifying villain. And I feel like you lose some of that when there's somebody sitting in the background like tapping their fingers together being like, yes, according to plan. Well, and she even, it seems like she likes Seven, at least in some, in some form. And, yeah. and, she, and she ends up not killing those people. And it just seems like she just ends up not doing it because Seven pleads with her and she takes mercy on her. And I don't really want, I don't think it's as interesting for the board to take mercy on, like to have mercy on people. Like that's kind of, yeah, that's against their whole uh, ethos. So I wasn't sure how you'd feel about this, but I, I'm, it's interesting that we're on the same page here. I, I just. Yeah. And that, that was, and again, another thing that I was curious, your opinion, especially because, because like you've said before, like you really felt drawn to the Borg as as a villain based on mostly th- seeing them through next generation where that's very much how they are. Um, kind of how you'd feel about, cause this, this episode is very Borg queen heavy. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and she's, it's been a long time since I saw first contact as well. I think it's a very kind of similar f- feel in that. Cause that's the one where she's trying to like convince data to join them I, I really remember almost nothing about it and and like she kind of goes back and forth with picard but i forget the kind of how much if she it has that same sort of individuality in that that she seems to in this where it just does kind of change the the feel of the borg a lot mm-hmm. i feel like you know then they just become like any other kind of scary alien right that they have a leader and that's like sinister and they have a thing that they want. And I feel like that takes away from what made them the Borg is that kind of sense of just complete unreasoning plotting destruction. Yeah. I, um, I, I think well, it's interesting because it, it kind of reframes them. And I, you know, I, I, I will say that even though I, I don't love that there is a Borg queen, I, you know, trying to take what I can from every episode of the show that we do. I think that, it is interesting how this episode almost kind of reframes the Borg a little bit so that it's less like this mindless, unstoppable anti-triumph of computing and almost it's more like being in a cult. Like it seems like uh, mm-hmm. it, it seems like the all the Borg stuff, it seems like she's trying to kind of. Uh, bring a wayward cult member back into the fold, where she's kind of kind of like appealing to brainwash her. Yeah, yeah brainwashing her and like pretending that she cares about her, and like kind of trying to seduce her back into the thing. And I guess I don't necessarily have a problem with um, an episode about the Borg kind of seducing Seven, but it's a different kind of thing. Where you know, I think in previous times the seduction would be that this is not a complicated life that you have to lead. You are part of like a community and which I guess that's kind of the same thing as a cult. In other words, like you're part of a community and like the rules are very set for you and stuff, but just the way it almost, there's just, there are scenes with the board queen and seven that almost kind of seem like the work queen is grooming her, which is interesting in its own way, but I do kind of wish it was not associated with the Borg. Does that make sense? Yeah. They had just done a different, like come up with a different race to do that kind of a story with where you have somebody that's, escaped this 
you know, this kind of collective thing where you're all part of something and then they're trying to seduce you to come back. Mm-hmm. That's true. You could kind of keep those two separate. You know, have the Borg and then have another another thing where you do that. Yeah, like maybe like Neelix is on the run from like a cult or something. And then, yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, so yeah, we can keep going. I, I, think we, I just think, you know, we kind of had kept on talking about like all the stuff the Borg Queen's doing and we were, I think we were kind of dancing around that. The other thing is that it doesn't make sense for the Borg as well because of the scene that I guess we're about to get to. So, so essentially Voyager comes back and manages to sneak back onto the onto the Borg ship, and I think it's Janeway and Tuvok, I think, and, and essentially it, the climax is Janeway shows up there in kind of this command room where there's the Borg Queen and there's Janeway and there's Seven of Nine, and they have this sort of standoff. Um, and Janeway has one of these cool phaser rifles. And this is where, like, the sort of the weakness, the, like, the, there's no way the Borg would ever have their command structure dependent on one person, because essentially, like, Janeway, like, threatens to shoot the Borg Queen and all of the drones like stop and back off. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. That's a good point where it's like the, their whole thing is that they're all like modular. Right, because that's another thing with the Borg is they they don't care if you, yeah, they don't care if you kill a drone, they don't kill, care if you blow up a ship because it's all just kind of a appendage of the collective mm-hmm. that they have more of. And so like if you ever pointed your gun at a Borg and like threatened like stop or I'll shoot, like there's no way that an entire room full of Borg would stop because of that. Right. That then this is kind of dependent on on that being like it just seems like an unnecessary weakness would be what the Borg would consider that. I guess I mean like doing that might blow up the whole ship, which presumably the the Borg it's not like that they would care, but they wouldn't it would be inconvenient, I guess, you know. But I, I, yeah. I know what you're saying, though, for sure. So then you have this kind of uh, standoff where both you have the Queen on one side and Jane Wan on the other side, both trying to convince Seven of Nine to come with them. That, like, we are your, we're who you really belong to. You're really one of us. And, and it's either this is the point, or I think it may be a little before this, that the Borg Queen pulls out that you have this reveal that seven of nine's parents were assimilated and and so her father like the borg version of her father kind of shows up magnus jansen uh hansen hansen um and so the borg queen says like your family is here we're all here come back and join us and then janeway says like no we're your ship you belong with us now come join us and so seven of nine leaves with Janeway, comes back to Voyager, and they, using the um, the transwarp coil that they had stolen before, they're able to escape from, from the Queen. They escape in a series of, oops, you thought you escaped, and then you didn't. Like, there's, there's like, four things at the end where it's like, oh, we changed our shields. Oh, no, but they figured out our shields, so now they know where we are. Oh, we went through the we went through the wormhole. Oh, one of them went through the wormhole. Oh, we got out of the wormhole. Oh, one of them's come through the wormhole. You know, like, and then... yeah. And it turns out that they're able to sort of collapse the wormhole behind them, which destroys the the Borg ship that's following them. But then there's that same kind of moment where, like, they collapse the wormhole and, like, oh, we escaped. And they're like, there's a whole bunch of Borg signatures coming through the wormhole. And you expect kind of, you know, this army of cubes to come through. And how will they escape from this? And then it turns out it's just the, like, the wreckage of the ship that was destroyed when the wormhole collapsed. Yeah. 
and then they leave. And then there's and, a little postscript, yeah, that they um, they're able to use that transwarp coil to to cut. I think they say like 15 years or something like that. Yeah, it's a lot of time. Yeah, a lot of time off of their journey. And then the, the transwarp coil wore out after that. It says so. Like yeah, that's you know, so like they can't. It can't be like a total uh, Deus Ex Machina. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's that's kind of the plot. So I I yeah. think we, there's a few things that I want to kind of you know go back to to kind of discuss. I, I think first of all, probably most notably, like the production design of this episode is really good. Um, the, the Borg ship stuff yeah, looks really cool. As much as I kind of take issue with like the Borg Queen as an idea, I think that she looks pretty neat. There's a really cool part where like her head her head is organic mostly, and her head mm-hmm. with like this kind of weird. Um, like metal spinal column, like kind of gets lowered down onto a robot body that looks pretty neat. Um, it, so it looks, you know, for for the Star Trek show of this time period, it looks really nice. Um, I think that it's it's a very cool looking episode. Um, you know, clearly like it's a longer episode. They they really pulled the stops out in terms of how they were going to make it look. Um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I think the the other. Um, thing about this episode is you you said i believe that if there's an alternate title it, it would be uh hubris my alternate title that i would have had for this episode is bad parents because uh, <laughs> uh, yeah uh, it's kind of like how if, if you, you you've seen frozen right yeah and it's kind of about how in the way the same way that frozen is secretly about how uh anna and elsa have really terrible parents who <laughs> who uh, upon learning that one of their children is different, decide to lock her in her room for for like the rest of her life, as far you know, as far as they're concerned. Um, yeah, even after being told that like that is the wrong thing to do. Yeah, and it's not really commented on that much in the movie. I would say it's kind of similar in this, where it's you know, I understand like the scientific contributions that can be made from studying a species like the Borg up close. I, I think that's, you know, uh, in in this sort of context, that's a very valid and noble and, like, interesting thing to do. But also, in my opinion, when you have, like, a kid, especially, like, a young kid, like, your responsibility is to your kid. And they just drag this girl around with them and... Yeah, on a mission that they know is going to be extremely dangerous. Yeah, and after a certain point, it almost seems like a mission that they know is not going to end well because they kind of disobey all these Starfleet orders. They cross the neutral zone, and they do all this stuff where they're just basically off the grid. Yeah, they end up... I think that at one point they say they end up in the Delta Quadrant. Yeah, that's right. You're right. You're right. Like, they follow the Borg through one of these transwarp... What are essentially wormholes. I don't think they ever call them that. But. Yeah. And they end up in the Delta Quadrant. And and the only person who really ever acknowledges that this is messed up is, weirdly enough, the Doctor. There, there's one scene where the Doctor, who is not a human being and doesn't have any kids and doesn't really know what that would feel like, I don't think, to have kids. Like, he's the one who's like, hey, this is like pretty messed up, the stuff. Yeah, did. why would you take your... And the Janeway is basically like, well, what they did was important. And it's like, yeah, sure, but I can't, like, conscience it. Especially, especially given the way that things yeah. end up. It's like, you know the the worst thing happens which is that they're either killed or assimilated and then their kid who's like what what do you think that hollow the kid is like eight six seven yeah probably like seven or eight he gets assimilated by these things and like basically is majorly screwed up for the rest of her life you know it's i think it's really 
I don't know. I don't know that like the episode is necessarily like neglecting that because again, or the doctor seems like it's seems like there like he kind of makes note of it. But I just and I think seven of nine too is like kind of talks. She seems like she sort of blames her parents for everything, um, and maybe it's kind of this just this defense mechanism. But anytime she talks about them, she almost seems to get angry that like they brought her along and that they were careless and let themselves get assimilated. And she was like, they were stupid. They. But she's right, though. I mean, like, yeah, she is. She's she's absolutely right. She should blame her parents for that. Yeah, uh, and yeah, and you can tell there's kind of these unresolved, like a lot of her emotions, you know, the kind of more emotion than we see her really release about most things. Like she does get very emotional whenever her parents come up. Yeah. Um, uh, also, I mean, even before they they're assimilated, before they get caught, like there's one scene where um, her dad is on the ship, and the, and like they kind of explain in this show that there's kind of the Borg don't. I mean, we've, we've seen this before that the Borg don't really take notice of you unless you're deemed to be like a threat or worthy of assimilation. But they kind of have this an additional thing in this episode called a bio dampener, which is this thing you can wear on your arm that basically mutes your life signs so that the Borg can't sense you. And so her dad is on the Borg cube with a bio dampener, and he's he's kind of observing people. And it's there's a funny little bit where. They've named some of the Borg, and uh, so they one of them is named Junior, and the one is named Bill, and the one is named Needlefingers, which, I, which yep. one of them seems not like the other. But uh, <laughs> so they're talking about this, and then they're talking about Junior, and Junior was damaged in some recent thing, and then suddenly two of the Bill and Needlefingers come up to Junior and start taking him apart, like like taking body parts off of it. Like they kill him and then they take body parts off of him. And so her dad is watching this in person, but then uh, her mom and her are both watching this like on a, like a, a little iPad. And I'm like, that seems a kind of a screwed up thing for her to let a kid watch. Just, just like a person or someone who used to be like a human man or something, just getting yeah. ripped apart by these other two people. It seemed like, it's like have her go watch TV in the other room or something. Yeah. But uh, I thought that was kind of a strange thing, but yeah, I, that really like, got to me that that's some of that stuff. Um, I think more than a lot of the other elements of the show is that, you know, they, they ended up choosing, what they thought was their responsibility to like science over, over their responsibility towards, uh, their their child, their own daughter. But um, I think the other thing I wanted to say about this is that I think one of the reasons why this episode didn't hundred percent click for me, other than, other than the Borg Queen, and other than it, the fact that it's not really certain what the Borg actually wants Seven for, uh, is that. There never really seems to be like that much conflict in Seven about whether or not she will rejoin the Borg. And I feel like there's supposed to be. because That's kind of the climactic moment at the end is supposed to be like she really has to make this choice when in fact the whole time she's been like straight up saying to the queen like I'll never join you. I don't want to be a similar. I'm not going to be like this. Yeah, I've... she like helps the, the people escape. Yeah, I prefer to remember me because she says at one point and it's just like she's just kind of been... Yeah irritated the entire episode at the Borg Queen. And so I've never really thought to myself, I mean, obviously I, I knew this wouldn't happen anyway, but like as a viewer, you want to, you know, I never really was even able to suspend my disbelief to be like, oh, is she going to, this is going to be a hard choice for her to make between whether she's going to stay or go. Cause it just seems like she's just kind of like, I don't like this. I don't like it here the whole, t- the whole right. time, you know? Right. Yeah. And then she's like, oh good. You're here to rescue me. Let's go. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think the closest they get is is when they bring out her dad, and she does have this kind of very like visceral, childlike reaction. You know, she says "Papa," and it's it's supposed to be this kind of moment where it's like, "Oh, the is this my real family?" And I think that's kind of the closest they get to like a reason to for her to want to stay. Yeah, I, there's a lot of interesting stuff in this, and I, I like the focus on the, the characters that we're focused on and everything, but I, it felt like it was a little bit, could have been a little tighter, could have been a little more affecting, I think, if they had made some different choices. And then, again, just I think we both agree, like the, the Borg Queen, the idea of the Borg Queen, I just don't know that it works in the way that they want it to. Yeah, I, and I mean, it, it's clearly a, a direction they decided to take the story because she does again she was in first contact she does appear in other voyager episodes at least too but but yeah i agree i think the borg is originally designed to kind of lose some of what made them interesting from mm. that um i will say i think this is a good janeway episode and i still really like janeway because i think you see kind of the the sides of her that they kind of are shown a lot that she is she's very confident she you know she doesn't put up with nonsense she's very kind of action driven but then there's that really nice scene at the end where she essentially is telling seven that she needs to regenerate and she needs to get some rest and again she's like very stern and like the commanding captain but you can tell how much she cares about like in that scene and and the same one with um when the little girl that seven's friend uh, naomi wildman yeah comes in to try to convince her to do this rescue mission she comes in with like a, a wesley crusher style like little kid with an idea for how to science uh yeah it, it i do like how it's like she's like but what if we she essentially kind of does the typical star trek thing of like what if we change the science of the one science thing yeah um she's like oh that's a good idea and i yeah. i guess this is supposed to be impressive because you're little even though none, yeah. none of it makes sense what if we remodulate the deflector yeah um but you can tell that like she has a very like she very much cares deeply about everyone on her crew. But she also has like a very sort of tough, stern demeanor as well. I don't know. I really like her as a character. I agree. I wrote that down as well. I think I, I like her a lot. I also wrote uh, at a certain point um, the Borg Queen shows uh, is talking about how she wants to uh, assimilate humanity, and then she yes, shows this was. <laughs> Oh, yes. I was going to say something about this exact thing. Yeah. She shows Seven a hologram of a human man, and he's wearing underwear. <laughs> and I was like, why, why is why is this man wearing underwear? Like, why, why did the Borg care? Just like, the Borg is like, oh, I got to show a little bit of modesty here that he... Yeah. Uh, I, love, I, I love that part. The, the, the note I made, because like, as, as like that pops up, they sort of run off these specs. So it's, you know, they're like, human, warp capable, physiology inefficient, below average cranial capacity. Where's tidy whities <laughs> I'm glad you spotted that as well. I was so, it's one of those things where I, I, I love like seeing things like that, where it's like, why is this? Well, it's this because this is a TV show that airs <laughs> yep. on on CBS, you know, and and, uh, yep. and uh, I, I almost feel like if that if that show happened on like Discovery, we'd see his penis, you know. Uh, it, Discovery famously in, in the early episodes like says, but uh, yeah, or you even like you just through like editing or cutting, you know, you either have this shot cut above or below it, or just like only have it when he's turning away, so you see like butt crack, but nothing else. Yeah, I don't know. 
yeah, it was, I, yeah, I thought that was really funny. Um, anything else we want to address in this episode? I, I, uh, I'm kind of, I think we've, we've covered it actually pretty well. I think so. Yeah. Again, a good production quality, like a well-made episode. I think, again, we both have our opinions about the story decisions that were made. Yeah. Not quite top tier, but certainly like interesting and interesting to watch and, you know, stuff to think about. I mean, it definitely, I feel, kept me, kept me watching. Mm-hmm, for sure. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you. This is our, tw- like I said, this tw- our 20th episode, and we really appreciate everyone who has uh, been listening so far. Thank you to both of our dads and to my old roommate, and I think my wife is starting to listen a little bit. So uh, and thank you to my, another of my friends from college. Uh, you know who you are. And I don't know if you, I don't know, do you have, do you have friends who tell you that you, they listen to the show? No, not not that I've heard of, unless my parents have been telling people about it. Okay. But. Well, for everyone, for you know, the, the twelve people who download the episode every every time, well, we appreciate it, and yeah, uh, hopefully one day we'll get more more listeners. We're gonna hit it big. Soon we'll be getting sponsors. Yeah, yeah. The oh, I was gonna make a joke, and then I didn't have anything funny to say. So <laughs> Some, something about like Squarespace. Yeah. Yes, I was trying to make a Squarespace joke, but I couldn't think of like a like a Star Trek way to do it. But um, yeah. anyway, uh, it's okay. I mean, we we do this for us. Yeah, <laughs> we do it for us. But I'm glad that people do listen to it. So thank you very much yeah. for listening. Um, so uh, yeah, next time we release an episode will be two weeks from now, and the episode we're going to be doing next time is also a special episode, not in the same way as this one, but in a way. This is an episode that I. I'm really excited that we are able to watch this. Or this is something I've been thinking about. Yeah, I think since, this one's going to be a treat. Show. Um, and this episode, it's Deep Space Nine, Season 5, Episode 6. And it is called Trials and Tribulations. Uh, that's Tribble, like T-R-I-B-B-L-E, uh, hyphen Asians. Um, so if, you, if you're familiar with uh, Star Trek at all, you uh, probably know which episode this is. But um, if you're not... You can check it out and then come back in two weeks and listen to us. Uh, in the meantime, you can go to our website at outofcontracts.podbean.com or you can uh, listen to us on any of the podcatcher apps. You can follow us and write to us on Twitter at contracts, that's C-O-N-T-R-E-K-S, or you can email us at outofcontracts at gmail.com. And thank you so much for listening, guys. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, everybody. Bye.